0: Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers could get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Visit uscellular.com for terms and restrictions.
1: This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. These days, it's easy to take the wonders of modern medicine for granted. In most countries, we have access to easily available, affordable, and fast-acting pharmaceuticals to treat all types of illnesses, especially when you consider that not so long ago, conditions that are now easily manageable would have often meant certain death. Without things like penicillin, radioactive treatments for cancer, and life-saving vaccines, there's no question our life expectancy would be greatly reduced. Obviously, with any drug treatment, there are risks. Pharmaceutical companies and healthcare providers are legally obligated to inform consumers about these possible side effects. No doubt, you've heard them at the end of commercials.
0: Common side effects include stomach pain, diarrhea, nausea, gas, vomiting and headache, decreases in white blood cells, dizziness
2: upon standing, seizures, trouble swallowing
1: one of the last things you might consider a potentially risky treatment is when you take a pill for a headache or to treat mild pain. Also known as acetaminophen, the drug has been a staple of many bathroom cabinets since the
0: 1950s. Doctors know with most headaches, pain mounts up. You feel dull, depressed. Tension puts nerves on edge. Now, aspirin has just one pain reliever. Add buffering, you still get just one. Help overcome depression fast. Relax tension fast. I feel great. Headache's gone, and my stomach isn't upset.
1: Acetaminophen goes by many brand names around the world. Despite the different names, however, each package carries the same warning. Do not purchase product if safety seal is not present. It's a simple and effective security measure. But it was not always there. In the early 1980s, one popular brand of the pain reliever had the extreme misfortune to be targeted by someone intent on hurting people. It would be the residents of Chicago, Illinois most impacted, and the disruption to public safety was on a massive scale. On September 29, 1982, 12-year-old Mary Kellerman woke up with a sore throat at her home in Elk Grove Village, just outside Chicago. She took one gelatin capsule of extra-strength Tylenol, hoping it would alleviate the discomfort. But instead of feeling better, Mary's condition suddenly became much worse. Around 7 a.m., her parents found her lying on the bathroom floor, barely responsive. The 7th grader was rushed to the hospital, where she died later that morning. Mary Kellerman's family and friends were devastated. Doctors were at a loss to figure out how the otherwise healthy girl suddenly died. More unexplained, yet similar deaths quickly followed throughout the Chicago area. Authorities would soon discover something so sinister that it struck fear across the country and went on to become one of the most high-profile and infamous cases in U.S. history. My name is Eric Crosby. Welcome to True. The same morning of Mary Kellerman's death, 27-year-old Adam Janus had stayed home sick from his job as a postal worker. (coughs) The married father of two lived in Arlington Heights, and on that morning, felt he had caught a cold. (coughs) He took two extra-strength Tylenol, and looked forward to taking it easy. When Adam started convulsing not long after, he was taken to a hospital right away. Like Mary, Adam Janus died incredibly quickly after ingesting the Tylenol pills. Only three hours. Adam's 25-year-old brother and 19-year-old sister-in-law accompanied his shocked widow back home. The pair were overwhelmed with grief and had been dealing with headaches all day. They both took capsules from the Tylenol bottle in Adam's bathroom. Shortly after, they too were rushed to the hospital after becoming severely unwell. Tragically, Adam's brother died the same day, while his sister-in-law slipped into a coma where she remained in critical condition.
2: Good evening, this is the CBS Evening News, Dan Rather reporting. A bizarre and terrifying story today in the Chicago suburbs of Arlington Heights and Elk Grove Village. A 12-year-old girl and two men who were brothers are dead after taking poisoned capsules of extra-strength Tylenol.
1: Tests were immediately conducted on the remaining capsules found at the victims' homes. Authorities also tested the bottles at the stores where they had been purchased. The results were unexpected and absolutely terrifying. Some of the capsules contained the highly lethal poison, cyanide.. Within roughly 45 minutes of ingestion, victims experience dizziness, nausea, a rash, followed by convulsions. Death comes quickly in the form of cardiac arrest. The tainted capsules each contained 65 milligrams of cyanide. Incredibly, this was 10,000 times the required amount to kill a person. Investigators believed the tampered bottles were placed on store shelves approximately 36 hours before Mary Kellerman died. It was now clear that someone had been intentionally poisoning unsuspecting residents around the Chicago area. Law enforcement and health officials immediately broadcast warnings to the public. Police officers drove through Chicago neighborhoods using loudspeakers to notify residents of the Tylenol emergency. On September 30, 1982, just 24 hours after the first three deaths, two more people lost their lives in separate incidents. 27-year-old Mary Reiner lived in the Chicago suburb of Winfield. She was at home caring for her one-week-old newborn when she took two Tylenol capsules given to her by the hospital. Mary Reiner died two hours later in the same hospital where she had just given birth a week earlier. Across town, a 31-year-old single mother of two from Elmhurst was hospitalized after taking Tylenol at work. She too died a short time later, bringing the total number of deaths to five. Tylenol's manufacturer, pharmaceutical giant Johnson & Johnson, wasted no time placing an urgent recall on extra-strength Tylenol capsules in the Chicago area. That, however, would be no small task, with close to 5 million capsules to collect. The shocking events were, of course, an absolute public relations nightmare for Johnson & Johnson. At the time, Tylenol was the highest-selling over-the-counter drug in the country, it accounted for almost 20% of company profits during the first three quarters of 1982 alone. The company needed to act fast, not only to prevent further poisonings, but also to contain the damage to their brand. On October 1st, Johnson & Johnson began working with the Food and Drug Administration to issue widespread warnings to hospitals and drugstores. They also stopped all production of extra-strength Tylenol capsules.
0: update.
2: Five people are now dead, one in critical condition after taking extra-strength Tylenol bottles of the pills with the serial number MC2880 are being recalled.
1: As the situation in Chicago made national headlines, consumers across the country were understandably panicked. Hospitals were being overwhelmed with calls from the public, Unfortunately, there was little anyone could do but try to answer questions.
2: We only have three poison lines, and they're lit up constantly, ever since yesterday morning. Right now they're telling people which lots of Tylenol are known to have contaminated capsules and checking to see if callers have displayed any symptoms of cyanide poisoning. If uh, they have it, tell them they the emergency room. If they don't have that and they took it yesterday, we just tell them, you're probably going to have no problem with it, just... Hold onto the bottles. Don't take any Tylenol extra strength for the time being until you hear otherwise. Most of what's going on here is informational. Officials here say right. if anyone has taken a cyanide-laced Tylenol capsule, well, they, they probably wouldn't it. be able to make it to the they phone to it. call.
1: Two days after Adam Janus's 19-year-old sister-in-law, Teresa, slipped into a coma, she too passed away, becoming the sixth poisoning-related death. The FDA continued testing the recalled capsules of Tylenol from around Chicago to see how widely the contaminated medicine had been distributed. They discovered that the capsules ingested by Mary Kellerman and the Janus family had been from the same batch number. At a drugstore in the suburb of Schaumburg, authorities found poison capsules in a bottle which, thankfully, had not yet been sold. This, however, did not stop the poisonings. A 35-year-old United Airlines flight attendant had picked up some Tylenol from a drugstore a few days earlier. She was found dead two days later in her Chicago apartment. When first responders entered the unit, they found the open bottle of Tylenol on the bathroom sink. At that point, all sales of the pain reliever were immediately banned throughout Chicago. A huge task force was set up that included 150 federal, state, and local authorities. Their singular mission was to figure out what was going on. By October 4th, the FDA had tested more than 1 million extra-strength Tylenol capsules from across the U.S. So far, there had been no evidence of tainted pills found outside the Chicago area. Also, not every capsule in the tampered bottles had been poisoned. But authorities still had no idea who was responsible, or how and when the bottles had been tampered with. Toxicologists and forensic investigators worked to trace the manufacturing origin of the tainted bottles. It turned out the capsules that had killed all seven people were from two separate batches. They came from two facilities, one in Texas and the other in Washington. Yet there had been no deaths or poisoning injuries in either of the two states. More importantly to investigators, The great distance between both locations indicated that rather than the capsules being contaminated at the point of manufacture, someone had tampered with the bottles after they had arrived at the destination. Investigators developed a theory. After Tylenol bottles had been stocked on the shelves of Chicago drugstores, the killer secretly bought or stole them. Back home, they opened the gelatin capsules, added the cyanide, and after putting the capsules back together, placed the bottles back on store shelves. On October 5th, 1982, a week after the poisonings began, Johnson and Johnson issued a nationwide recall of Tylenol products. This included 31 million bottles of capsules. In the meantime, it came to light that a 27-year-old man from Northern California had become sick on September 30th after taking extra-strength Tylenol. This time, however, the capsules were not laced with cyanide but strychnine, which is typically found in rodent poison. A total of three contaminated bottles were traced to the man's local drugstore. Fortunately, the man recovered, but the nationwide panic had only deepened with fears of copycat poisonings.
0: Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you all us days at us cellular exclusive offers just for you just to say thanks right now us cellular customers could get up to twelve hundred dollars to upgrade to any new phone visit uscellular.com for terms and restrictions johnson and johnson has already halted production of all tylenol capsules it's asking stores to take them off the shelves preliminary findings of random surveys being conducted by Johnson & Johnson. They know this much about what the public thinks on this whole thing so far. A significant number of people, as many as uh, a little more than a third actually, question whether they will ever buy the capsules again, and not only the capsules, but whether or not they will actually
1: buy... Within days, Johnson & Johnson had lost the equivalent of around $270 million in today's value. So the company took very public steps to put people before profit. The CEO started making daily appearances on TV, keeping viewers up to date with the latest developments and offering reassurances.
0: We, we have to understand that this is not the way we normally perform. This is not what we expect of ourselves. When we start up operations there again, that we will be able to ensure the safety and quality of the product that uh, people should expect from us
1: it launched a nationwide advertising campaign, warning people of the dangerous situation. As testing continued on all Tylenol products, it became apparent that only the capsules had been tainted, not tablets. The public was quickly advised that bottles of Tylenol capsules could be exchanged for tablets. Johnson & Johnson also set up a hotline and staffed it with specialists to answer questions and provide information. Investigators interviewed anyone who might have had the opportunity or motivation to tamper with the pills. Employees involved in manufacturing and distribution, including drugstore staff, were all questioned. But not a single person stood out as a potential suspect. No one interviewed had a history of violence or appeared to have any grievances with Johnson & Johnson. Nor was there any evidence that it could have been a competitor in a gross attempt to gain market share. Plainclothes officers even attended the funerals of each of the seven victims. But no one suspicious attended any of the services. The closest authorities had to a suspect came from a surveillance camera at a Chicago Walgreens. It showed the last victim buying the contaminated Tylenol. Behind her was a bearded man, watching her closely. With no idea who the man was, Law enforcement worked with the FBI to compile a psychological profile of the likely perpetrator. According to the analysis, the killer was probably a man in his 20s. A loner lacking any sort of success, he likely had a basic understanding of chemistry or pharmacology. The motive was believed to be either revenge against Johnson & Johnson or a need for attention and acknowledgement the killer felt they rightfully deserved. Another theory was that the killer had personally targeted one of the seven victims, and killed other random people to cover up any personal connection. On October 6th, 1982, eight days after the situation began, a letter arrived at a Johnson & Johnson office in Pennsylvania. It read, Gentlemen, as you can see, it is easy to place cyanide, both potassium and sodium, into capsules sitting on store shelves. And since the cyanide is in the gelatin, it is easy to get buyers to swallow the bitter pill. Another beauty is that cyanide operates quickly. It takes so very little, and there will be no time to take countermeasures. If you don't mind the publicity of these little capsules, then do nothing. So far, I have spent less than $50, and it takes me less than 10 minutes per bottle. If you want to stop the killing, then wire $1 million to bank account number 8449597 at Continental Illinois Bank, Chicago. Don't attempt to involve the FBI or local Chicago authorities with this letter. A couple of phone calls by me will undo anything you can possibly do. The ransom note was soon traced to a 35-year-old man named James William Lewis. Lewis had a history of mental health issues, violence and allegations of fraud he and his wife used to live in Chicago but had left for New York City after he sent the extortion letter
2: the search for Tylenol suspect James Lewis zeros in on New York City where authorities say Lewis and his wife were spotted less than a week ago an investigation is underway into the his
1: name was quickly all over the news as a potential suspect so he was forced to backtrack. Despite what he said in the letter, he was now strongly maintaining his innocence in connection to the murders. Johnson & Johnson reintroduced extra-strength Tylenol capsules to the market on November 11, 1982. This time, however, the popular painkiller was in the packaging we've all come to take for granted today. The bottles were triple-sealed and tamper-resistant, a first in the pharmaceutical industry. If anyone tried to contaminate the bottles, it would be easy for consumers to recognize and alert authorities without anyone else losing their lives. As well as an overhaul to the packaging, Johnson and Johnson also redesigned Tylenol's delivery mechanism. Instead of using capsules, the company developed something totally new. The innovation was in the form of a caplet, which is essentially a solid tablet made in the form of a capsule. It was still easy to swallow but has no seal and therefore could not be pulled apart. The company implemented new quality control procedures, including randomized inspections of Tylenol shipments prior to leaving the facility. It took a couple of months, but federal investigators eventually tracked down James Lewis and his wife. In December, 1982, he was arrested and charged with attempted extortion. But there was nothing linking him or his wife to the murders. So the search for the serial killer continued. In early 1983, the Chicago Tribune, acting on advice from the FBI, published the address and location where young Mary Kellerman, the first victim, had been laid to rest. The intention was to entice the killer to visit the girl's home or the cemetery to revel in their work at the scene of the crime. Despite placing both locations under 24-hour video surveillance for the next few months, no one of any interest was identified.
2: In May
1: 1983, Congress passed the Tylenol Bill, making tampering with packaged products a federal crime. The move coincided with strict changes to packaging regulations implemented by the FDA to minimize the potential for product tampering, At James Lewis's trial in October 1983, he admitted writing the extortion letter to Johnson & Johnson, but maintained that he had nothing to do with the Tylenol tampering. He was convicted and sentenced to 20 years in prison. Despite the successful conviction, investigators failed to obtain sufficient evidence to charge Lewis with murder. Law enforcement did not give up looking for suspects. They had also been looking into a 48-year-old man named Roger Arnold. The man worked in a Chicago repackaging factory owned by a grocery company that had actually sold some of the contaminated Tylenol. Around the time of the murders, the owner of a bar overheard him talking about how to kill people using cyanide. The bar owner contacted authorities, and when police searched Roger Arnold's apartment, they found some incriminating items. There were chemistry books, along with paraphernalia, and several unlicensed guns. Like James Lewis, Roger Arnold maintained his innocence, and again, without sufficient evidence, authorities were unable to charge him in the murders. Looking for revenge on the person who tipped off the police, in the summer of 1983, Arnold went back to the bar, waited outside, and shot someone he thought was the bar owner. Instead, he had mistaken a complete stranger for his intended target. He was later convicted of second-degree murder and received a 30-year prison sentence. In May 1991, almost nine years after the incident, Johnson & Johnson settled multiple lawsuits by the families of the victims. Each one was negotiated out of court for undisclosed amounts.
0: I always try to do the best I can for my family, and that includes using a pain reliever I can really trust. For many years, we've taken Tylenol. Turns out Tylenol is the pain reliever hospitals use most, and that's been so for more than 10 years. Well, if hospitals trust Tylenol, that confirms my own trust. For a relief you can trust, trust Tylenol. Hospitals do. Tylenol, safety sealed for your protection.
1: Tylenol products eventually regained their position of owning the highest U.S. market share for over-the-counter pain relief. In October 1995, James Lewis was paroled after serving just over half his 20-year sentence. Despite the investigation being greatly scaled back years ago, the case and those involved continue to make headlines every now and then. In 2004, for instance, James Lewis made news when he was charged with rape, kidnapping, and other offenses for an alleged attack on a woman. He spent three years in custody while awaiting trial, but in 2007, when the victim refused to testify, prosecutors were forced to drop the charges. In early 2009, the FBI searched Lewis's home in Massachusetts, going off some new information. They seized boxes of items, along with an older model desktop computer. Investigators wouldn't say
0: exactly what brought them here, but they loaded several boxes into a truck before leaving the area. No one has ever been charged in the killings.
1: As far as the Department of Justice is concerned, James Lewis is responsible for the poisoning, despite the lack of evidence against him. In 2010, he and his wife were ordered by a judge to provide fingerprint and DNA samples to police, but nothing came of it. Over the years, he has shared his theories with authorities, even going as far as drawing pictures of how the killer might have poisoned the capsules. It was all hypothetical, of course, but many felt this only served to implicate him further. As if toying with police and the public, in 2010, James Lewis published a book, ironically called Poison. In the psychological thriller, victims are poisoned with, you guessed it, cyanide. The work of fiction, understandably, has received public pushback and critical scrutiny since its release. While Lewis has remained the prime suspect, the investigation did, at one time, focus on another infamous serial killer. In 2011, the FBI requested DNA samples from Ted Kaczynski, also known as the Unabomber.
2: Kaczynski is serving a life sentence after pleading guilty to setting 16 explosions that killed three people. His defense attorney says he thinks the FBI is seeking simply to rule him out as a suspect in the Tylenol case. Kaczynski has so far refused to allow a sample to be taken. His lawyer told the government it will have to get a court order to obtain the DNA. They also note that Kaczynski hasn't been indicted in connection with the Tylenol investigation and no such federal prosecution is currently planned.
1: While his first four bombings were committed in Chicago from 1978 to 1980, Kaczynski has always denied any connection to the Tylenol murders. Supporters of this theory point to the fact that he sometimes stayed at his parents' home in the Chicago area during 1982 when the poisonings occurred. But in later years, a more sinister theory has been presented. Mary Reiner's daughter, Michelle, is of the firm belief that the killer was not an unhinged random member of the public, but someone close to Johnson & Johnson. This idea has also been supported by former Johnson & Johnson employee, Scott Bartz. In his book entitled, The Tylenol Mafia, Marketing, Murder, and Johnson & Johnson, he states that someone with knowledge of packaging and distribution is likely responsible. To this day, the case remains unsolved. As of 2009, Johnson and Johnson was still offering $100,000 for information leading to the killer's conviction.
2: What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Hi there.
0: Sorry for the interruption, but...
3: and bad reception I don't know Cartoons on Martian moons, they say, Welcome home, you're dead. What a wonderful day! Rolling hills, broken pills, and bad reception. I don't
1: Production of Imperative Entertainment. This episode of True was researched and written by Gemma Harris. The executive producer is Jason Hoke of Imperative Entertainment. The cover art and design were created by Jenna Sullivan. True was created and is produced by me. Have any comments or questions? Email us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. A huge thanks for listening and for your amazing reviews and ratings. I'll be back next week with another episode.